Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. We did this already. We did a live cold open. We were rocking and rolling, and then we found out, nope, we were not on Rumble, and nothing updated properly. So, for all of you in the chat, if you can hear us now, give us a thumbs up. I think you can. Give us that thumbs up. And if you're there already on Rumble, you might as well hit that little green thumbs up and give us a like on the video as well. Sometimes things are going on. Uh, Ryan and I were guessing that this is probably one of the best days for Rumble to do any network maintenance. Let's just attribute it to that. Or personal screw up. You never know. But we're really happy to have you here today. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Grateful for all of you joining us. We're not going to talk politics. We're going to bring out my buddy, Garrett O'Boyle. We're going to talk a couple things. I was just in the middle, middle of telling a story, which I will uh, retell. It's not not difficult to do. But uh, Garrett, go ahead and uh, say hey. Welcome to the show, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody out there watching live, especially our live chatters joining us on on this blessed Thanksgiving. We we hope you all have have a, a good one. And even when things are hard, there are plenty of good things to be thankful for. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, buddy. It's a matter of perspective. Obviously, we did a whole shtick routine because uh, you and I were talking earlier about whether or not your kids were chained to the basement because uh, we heard them kind of making noise early and. Uh, maybe they were uh, chained to a sewing machine somewhere and stitching up hats or putting out shirts. I won't. I won't put you through that again. We know that your children are 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 doing significant amounts of duties maintaining the sweatshop that keeps the suspendables merch rolling, right? Indeed, as any good sweatshop uh, manager, you know, would have it. The kids are hard at work, somewhere around 20, 22 hours a day, and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> twenty-two hours. A day. <laughs> that sounds like parents' duty hours. It doesn't sound like yeah. kids' duty hours. Yeah. How much? How much? How much time do the managers have to handle these twenty-two hour a day working kids? I mean, we actually have shifts, so we're only at twelve hours a day each. You know, That's it's like, helpful. hey, I'll take the night shift. I'm used to that type of thing. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so silly. So we're going to cover a couple of things. We're going to talk a little bit about history. I got a couple of videos, you guys, that'll uh, just be kind of lighthearted. Um, I want to say thanks to our sponsor. We, we started doing this earlier. Like I said, we ran this up, but this is Catholic Vote. So, folks, Catholic Vote is our number one sponsor. They put out an email called The Loop. They are in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. These are all Catholic lay people, which is to say they're not ordained clergy. They're not officially associated with the Catholic Church. They're an advocacy group for people that care about what Catholics care about. And we're not going to do news today, so if you want the news, go to The Loop. We're not going to cover politics. They're going to do it for us. Uh, you guys can check that thing out. And they I don't think they're doing one today. Honestly, you can go read yesterday's. You can read tomorrow. Sign up for it in general. This is uh, catholicvote.org. Click on the loop or just add your email. And you can always make a donation up there. You can do a monthly donation or a one-time if you want to support our program. They're supporting us. They, uh, If we had no other sponsors, Catholic Vote would keep us floating, just for what it's worth. That's what that means. Uh, great people. And the president of that company, whose name is Brian Birch, is a really good guy. We have all these weird overlaps, which I covered a minute ago to myself. I was just talking to Garrett. Garrett heard him. But essentially... We had so many strange serendipitous overlaps when we lived in Dallas. His family lives in Phoenix. My family lives outside of Phoenix. Just a bunch of these things. Of course, we we uh, we used to go to the, the same church when he was older than me and I was a kid. Just strange, strange kind of serendipitous moments. You never know what God's plan is until you look at it in the rear view. I think many of us can see it after the fact. You go, of course. Of course, that's what it was about. Uh, and I think many of us will see this time this way. But uh, I, I mentioned today's date, the 23rd. I was just about to tell Garrett about this story. I had an experience two years ago where my life basically changed 
I would say forever. It would change. It changed in a way that we'll never go back to. On the 23rd of 2021 in November, I got a phone call three in the morning. My boss calls me up. You can throw Garrett on the screen here because um, we'll, we'll kind of just riff on, on the ideas of this. But I get this phone call from a boss. He tells me, hey, we got a, a potential murder, homicide down at the federal prison down in Otero County. Um, new guy's got the got the ups. He's he's the duty agent for the week. And uh, will you please go and join him because he doesn't know how to conduct a homicide investigation. He doesn't even know who to ask or what. He, I mean, he's like three weeks out of Quantico, five weeks out of Quantico. So I did. I drove down there. Uh, we met in the parking lot at the at the RA, at the resident agency. And he had a cup of coffee and I had a cup of coffee and we rolled down to the prison, which I'd been to a few times. I was already friends with the warden. Go figure. Uh, you can imagine, Garrett, like I, I made friends with a guy the first time I met him. And so I'm not uh, surprised by that. <laughs> we, we went in and we conducted our investigation. We were there for about 12 hours in the COVID isolation ward, which was ironic because I was I was removed later that day because I wouldn't get COVID tests on a regular basis. Go and, figure. Right. Yeah. But they were happy to expose me because I didn't get the shots. And uh, we did our investigation. We found out all kinds of weird stuff. Guy had died, but it looked like nobody had been involved. No foul play was was evident. It was going to wait on the medical examiner. I moved the body, which is not something that people in the FBI generally do. I helped the medical examiner put him into a bag and roll him over. And we, you know, we conducted all the physical exams that you would do of a body when you're looking for uh, evidence of foul play. Uh, it looked like this guy may have had a medical emergency that we couldn't explain. So long and short of it is we finish all that up and then uh, we go in and the warden sits us down and he starts talking about some other stuff they got going on and things that he might want to do in an investigation, maybe a corruption investigation. And then they served us a Thanksgiving dinner coming out of the prison. Um, they brought it to the, the warden's conference room and we sat around and we had some food and we had some turkey and some other stuff. And it was a very strange day. And I went back to the office and my boss told me that you can't come back into this office again until you get a COVID test. And mm -hmm. I said, well, I'd love to take leave because I'm not going to do that. And I took leave and I didn't get back in until March 4th. And that was the last six weeks. And then they fired me or suspended me forever, which is wild. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, it's such a such a uh, such an upright process. Oh, we're just going to suspend you for whatever reason we want. And off you go. But let's not forget, this is a, this is a poignant story because it just goes to show they don't really care about the mission, the work. They just care about keeping you under their thumb. Just do what we say, Kyle. We don't care that we called you in the middle of the night. And I get it. That goes with the territory sometimes. Yep. <clears throat> but especially on the heels of that type of day, that type of investigation, uh, holding the hand of the new guy and, you know, probably prompting his brain and asking certain questions or with your background as a paramedic. We, we did it. We for. did all the uh, prison guards and all the inmates. We separated them off and did individual interviews with each one of them. And so mm -hmm. that's why it took 12 hours to be there. But the fun right. thing is this, that was like peak FBI work for me. Yes. It's like, like you're you're a subject matter expert in your thing. You know enough. Mm -hmm. You've never done this type of investigation in this place, but you understand because I'm assigned to the res that I did criminal work. And that was something I was right. you know theoretically trained for for a long time. A lot of it was exactly. just me figuring it out as I went, you know, and, and then it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, and I'm taking on a new guy. We're doing the we're doing the mentoring game. And, and you're the only one there. Everyone's looking to you because all the prison guards are prison guards and they don't have investigative right. backgrounds. And they're, and you're yeah. the one guy that's going to figure out what's going on there. Yeah. You're, you're the FBI agent, you know, so representing the entirety of the bureau. Right. Everybody is looking to you. Everybody there is looking to you. Um, different scenario, different type of case, but I spent a lot of time in and out of a prison uh, early on in my career uh, for, a, for an investigation I was working on. And I ended up developing a, a, a really strong bond with um, the the two investigators who worked at the prison. Like and, the you know, gang they had unit been, or whatever they had. 
Yeah, they were like, um, I forget what they were called. I, I could look, but, uh, you know, they came up through the ranks. They started off as prison guards and, you know, they're one of them. I ended up going to his retirement. It was like one of the last things I did. It was, you know, maybe six months, eight months before I ended up getting suspended. I, he he called me up and said, hey, I'm retiring. But but when you when you were saying um, like peak FBI, this is what you expected. You guys met in the parking lot early in the morning with coffee. In my head, I was thinking like, yeah, that's what we thought we were signing up for. That's exactly what you thought you were signing up for. I had one other moment like that. I was in um, the desert in New Mexico, and it was me and my partner, Josh, and he was a great guy. He's a former federal air marshal and uh, was a was a Marine Corps officer. Just like all the, the he had all the, the qualities of the people that you thought. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's this jacked black guy, and he would always make us mad because he was just like, he was always ripped out of his mind, and he would show up like wearing like a hoodie and kind of like dressed down because we did surveillance work. And I remember Josh showing up one day, and and he was like, you know that feeling when you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh yeah, the apex rippling. And I was like, no, I'm a dad and I'm not gay. Like I don't stare at my body and I'm not trying to get other dudes. Aren't you married? Um, and his his wife was like really thick, and he that was that was his thing. And anyway, it was just great. He was like he was one of those guys that he was the kind of teammate that you wanted to have. And the two yeah. of us were in the middle of New Mexico. We're following this bad guy, a legit, um, a legit terrorist subject, armed, enormous swore allegiance to ISIS, radicalized, wearing Islamic dress, even though he was like, he, he looked like he would have been like a, like a U character, except I think he was six, nine and he was like three fifty. Oh. So scaled up version of Garrett, um, shaved head, you know, white guy from America that had gone full radical, you know, and gone the, and gone the other way. And Interesting. he drove himself out in the middle of the desert and he was working out there on this like Indian reservation or something like that. It was like this weird, uh, Pueblo in New Mexico. And he's doing what I would call move to contact drills. He was like shooting, dropping, moving, like, you know, going from cover to cover and shooting and, and, and moving up on targets that were up against this dirt berm in the middle of nowhere. And we're watching him. We got a plane overhead and me and Josh climb up this hill, you know, kind of like semi mountain thing. And we just hike up this damn thing with our telephoto lenses and a rifle in the backpack and like right radio, you know, and it's just two dudes that are in yeah. earth tones crawling up this like side of the thing. And we're like sneaking around and we're taking pictures of him from three, 400 yards away. The stuff that you thought you were going to be doing. Yeah, I, I got to do it, it a few times. The FBI. Yeah. And yeah. that is the opposite of, of what it really is about. Um, mm-hmm. What it really is about is go get a COVID swab up your nose and uh, we're going to kick you out the door. But I thought it was interesting because my boss didn't feel good about it. And I found out later that he yeah. was, that he, you know, he protected his career. There right. was something interesting. He, he that happened. knew it was wrong. He well, knew it was wrong. Of course. What was interesting is the next day you and I had already put together a group of people in the bureau that were in that same boat that were going to be facing some sort of hardship about uh, COVID, about eventually whistleblowers for some of them. And, uh, and we had a Thanksgiving. The next day was the first Thanksgiving that you and I knew each other. And I wonder if you t- kind of tell some of that story for folks yeah. from your perspective. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's pretty vivid for me because it was shortly after I was um, brought into the group and it was shortly after, you know, it was all this COVID stuff. The The mandate to get the vaccine was in September. By early October, we had to put in our religious beliefs. Again, I still hold that that even that was illegal. Um, and then, you know, by November, it's when they're starting to change around all the rules and implement the testing. And so it was a stressful time for those of us who said, hey, uh, I actually think bodily autonomy matters. And especially from a law enforcement context, shouldn't we all be thinking that? But, you know, we banded together in this in this little group and my in-laws came down to Kansas and the weather was perfect. Um, 
and you said, hey, today we're not talking COVID, we're not talking mandate, we're just going to talk about what we're grateful for, what we're thankful for, and throw up a picture of your family if you want, you know, in here. And I just remember checking in the group messages throughout the day, just thinking like, this this is actually a blessing. It's a blessing. I don't know any of these people. I think I knew maybe one or two of them, uh, like I had actually met in person um, at that point. And it just was like a very special day because we are, we are, we should be focused. We should be grateful every day, you know? And I think oftentimes we, uh, I know for me, I, I, I lean towards, uh, the glass being, being half empty. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that prohibits me from, from being grateful for things that I should be grateful for. And I just remember that day, like every time checking in, seeing a picture of somebody's family, seeing some Bible verse about being grateful, seeing just, a a heartfelt message to the group and what it had meant uh, for them to to have found it and be a part of this group because in their office they feel so alone. Um, and I think we all we all felt like that. And uh, I, I I grilled up some turkey that day. I grilled up some steak that day. Um, my you know my girls were were a couple years younger than they are. We only had three at the time, but my in laws were down. We ended up putting up the Christmas tree. The weather wasn't as cold as it is here in Wisconsin. It's beautiful in Kansas this time of year. And like, it, it just is a very stark uh, memory for me. And I don't think I will uh, forget it anytime soon. Maybe once I'm demented, like um, our president. Uh, I'll start to... <laughs> hey, 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 no politics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, it's a, it's a really good, it's a good fond memory um, in, in, a, in a season of life. And I mean, it's, it's a few years now. And it seems like in a lot of ways, it's only been getting a little more difficult. But um, during this interesting season of life and our paths intersecting, um, it stands out as just a very bright uh, spot that I can look back to and say, hey, uh, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn, but that dawn does come. And last, I think last year was was probably dark for both of us in a big way. Yeah. Um, we had just gotten public. I was exhausted. I know I was getting sick running around because we were, we're doing this like marathon tour. Like nobody plans on being in the media when you've never been in the media in your whole life and you're in your forties or you're in your late thirties. And so you and I end up in this like thrust into this moment where the only basically treading water for survival, I, I would, I would liken all those like sort of Fox interviews I started doing and going on Dan's show, which I'm really, you know, of the things that I'm grateful for, Dan Bongino is one of the people and one of the, and his show is one of the things that I am so grateful for, uh, particularly today, looking at where I am and where I was and what we needed to do. Cause I don't think it was about me. It never was about me. It was really about this country. And more importantly, I think it was about my kids than anybody else. Like it really, I, I, like I love all these people that are, that have joined us, that have joined our show, that are part of the, uh, the sort of the experience every day and, and, you know, get involved with it and follow us on, on all the social media. But when it comes down to the things that were most important for me to make a decision, it wasn't like some faceless, nameless American that I hadn't met yet. It was looking my kids in the eye and knowing that one day that if they asked me, what did you do? What did you do when there was a possibility to resist tyranny? Yep. And the answer would be, I gave it everything I had. And that's why we don't live in New Mexico. And that's why we don't have the beautiful house we had. And that's why our life went on a totally different direction than what was planned. We had a dotted line that we were following and we were given an option basically for all of our chips. Will you do what you're told or will you do what you think is right? And by the way, you should do what you're told. And I said, no. And you said, no. 
and a few yep. small others did. And I think that's going to end up making a big difference. Uh, Ryan made a funny comment the other day to me that just sits in my brain now. It's kind of bothers me. He's like, <laughs> do you ever think about how Paul Revere thought about himself when he was doing what he was doing and that they would mm. tell stories about him in history? Do you ever think about them like you like that? And I'm like, no, of course not. That's absurd. <laughs> I'm too busy doing what I'm doing. If they end up telling stories about what you and I did, that would be inc that'd be incredibly bizarre. And I don't right. and not even necessarily warranted. Um, Agreed. I think you took that text out of uh, context. Did I? What? Yeah. What I was meaning by that was like, do you think in general, like people like yourself, mm. like maybe Garrett O'Boyles, the Steve Friends, the Carlos Arleanos, like, do you ever think about like what this movement is doing that it might be looked back upon at one time? Like this might be. Yeah, it's the you same. Know, it's think the Paul same. Revere instinct. thought about that at the time. I don't think he did, and I don't think you can. And I'll tell you why. Because you got to just you got to be in the moment, working on the problem. The problem is, is that history is written written by the victor. And so we're, we're going to talk about history in just a second here, because there's some funny little things on Wikipedia about uh, Thanksgiving that I find. But if you don't win, then they'll never talk about you. You're not going to hear <laughs> about the people that tried to resist certain areas because it didn't happen as far as the uh, the, the winning regime, you know, was involved. Uh, they, they can just blank you out. And so treading water to save your life is a really good example of it. You're holding some weight over your head of unknown weight. They could throw any mm -hmm. more on at any time and you've got to tread furiously to keep up. That was my experience of last Thanksgiving. And this one is wildly different. We're in Texas. My family's all around the table. We're going to probably FaceTime with my folks. We won't be able to be uh, in, in person with them because we're kind of doing a different game. And you guys too. I know you guys had a really rough one last year and this yeah. year is a little bit brighter. Yeah, for sure. Like you probably remember um, that picture I sent you when we got into the rental oh, yeah. and I had, I had got gotten back from Virginia and pretty much the entire garage was filled with boxes of our stuff. And then most places in the house had boxes strewn about. And just a couple weeks later was Thanksgiving and it was, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. I mean, yeah, it's been an interesting year. Definitely some very dark spots along the way. Uh, some very bright spots along the way too. So it just, it's interesting. Like, um, you know, my, my father-in-law told me the other day that he was just so grateful for me and, uh, people like me, he mentioned you and Steve both and said, I just don't think I could do it. And I was like, I don't think that's true. Um, when we took, when we decided to do what was right, it wasn't like we thought, man, I'm so courageous or that I have another choice. Yeah. And I told <laughs> like, that I was we're not like, wired to, to do it another way. I think a right. lot of people have that same sense. Probably all the people who turned down the shots, to be fair, which is a huge chunk of this country. It may not be everybody, yeah. but there's right. an awful lot of people that said, I don't think so. This is, this doesn't feel right to me. Right. Whatever reason. And, and now there's people too, who are coming out and admitting that they were duped, that they thought, Oh, the government and the media are telling us that thing, these things are safe and and good. And not only are they going to help me, they're going to help my neighbor. I mean, I so yeah, I'll take it. And now they're like, uh oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what where the difference is for somebody like you or me, where right away we thought, no, this is something's off here, you know, and I'm not I'm not doing it no matter what. And then look what it led to. At first, it was get your shot and you'll get a free donut uh, from Krispy Kreme, and it turned into don't get your shot and uh, you're untermensch and you're getting cast out from the federal government if you uh, for for some reason that will just try to stick on you. Man, they and went from they went from carrot to stick really fast, didn't they? Oh yeah, yep, for it, sure. That's pretty wild.
Um, let's let's say thanks to someone who's been with me basically since I started doing this. This is um, uh, Patriot Coolers, so I'm holding on to one right now. Folks, you can check out Patriot Coolers. I'm not saying go buy it. It looks like they've just done – in fact, here, here's a recommendation. They just did a 20% site-wide sale. It's automatically applied in the thing. So don't use my promo code. Just go to patriotcoolers.com. If there's anything you want to buy, 20% off, that's their that's their Black Friday deal that's going through. So if there was something you had your eye on, you're waiting on a bigger discount, That's this is the one. I've never seen them do that one, so that's the best. And then what I'll say is they'll alf- they'll offer you little notes when you do the order. It says order notes. Just put in Kyle Serafin Show as the note, if you would. If you guys are being referred by us, check out some of their bigger stuff now. These would be a good time if you were going to try to do one for Christmas and you're like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to save a couple bucks? No, but no doubt about it. Um, if you're a aquamarine or a Tiffany blue type, maybe you got a matching Glock that goes with it, like that Patriot Cooler we're showing right there, the 50 quart. Uh, that's the one I keep in my trunk all the time. And I'm telling you, if you've never carried around a cooler as one of the smarter options to keep a lot of your stuff uh, cold from the grocery store, you are absolutely missing out on using your equipment that you probably already have. If you have a regular cooler of any kind, I don't know if you have a Coleman or something else, try it out. I think you guys will find that's that's pretty smart. But these are smart tools for outdoor. They last forever. They'll last a lifetime. Uh, PatriotCoolers.com. And like I said, they've been they've been supportive of our show since we had not even a big enough audience to justify the kind of uh, the advertisement they wanted to do. Really grateful for them as a sponsor. Really grateful for them as people. The folks out there, uh, my brother has an association with the company. Nice people in Houston, Texas. American people doing a job, you know, putting out a, a product that uh, I think there was a there was a need in the market because, like I said, you're not a Yeti, you're not a Lifetime, you're not an Igloo, you're not a Coleman, you might be a Patriot. So check out PatriotCoolers.com. Like I said, don't use my promo code right now for the next couple of days. Just put Kyle Serafin Show in the notes if you decide to order something. And we're really grateful for them. So we want to say we appreciate it here. Ah, So I want to do history. Can we do history for a little bit, Garrett? Can I bring some stuff up from um, some funny stuff? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So first of all, and then we've got a clip from the History Channel that you're really going to appreciate. It's going to be some of the most educational piece. So folks, if, you are, if you're watching, stay tuned. You're going to enjoy this. First of all, uh, Wikipedia tells us that uh, according to some historians, the first celebration of Thanksgiving in North America actually happened in 1578 with a guy named Martin Fishbearer who came in from England and happened in Canada. Wow. But there's also no compelling reason for anyone to believe that and that the origins of the Canadian Thanksgiving are probably made up. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Wikipedia. (laughs) Thanks, thanks Wikipedia, but also thanks, Canadians. How how funny are you guys? It also says the annual tradition in North American colonies documented the first time in in 1619, which was now uh, which is what is is now Virginia. Now, I had always heard it was 1621. And of course, they end up saying that. And so there's some some sort of negotiations, whether it was 1621, 1623 or 1631. But let me share a fun story about what it was not. A couple of years back, I was quite a bit younger. I had probably just been somewhere between college and the military. And I was sitting at the Thanksgiving table with my folks. And we were they were in Dallas, Texas at the time in uh, North Dallas. And so my mom was cooking and my dad was cooking and the kids were all bustling around. I've got um, I have six total. Uh, brothers and sisters combined, including me. So only five of us were there. My oldest brother was in Hawaii. And we're all around the table. And some of them are younger. They might have been high school age or college age, something like that. And my mom sat down and she was teaching school at the time. And she was a preschool teacher. And she told us very proudly, I might add, my mother, Diane Serafin said, I taught all of my students today about the first Thanksgiving and how the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock on the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. (laughs) And they met up with Sacagawea. 
and made contact with the Indians and had the first Thanksgiving, which is one of the funniest things that I've ever heard. And we all burst out laughing and she had no idea why we were laughing. And my, and my brothers and I are always kind of like turds like this. And we said, mom, did it ever wonder, like did any of your kids ask why those English puritanical settlers who came to the new world were riding on Spanish ships that were piloted by an Italian guy <laughs> in the person of Christopher Columbus. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria. Isn't that kind of a weird name for a set of English ships? She had no, she just, I said, you just made a smoothie of like about 150 yeah. years of American history. And it's the sad like, thing is close enough. <laughs> you told it to preschool kids and you told it to preschool kids who were predominantly first generation Americans with immigrant parents. Cause she had a lot of like uh, Indian families that were like in the tech world. So none of them probably knew the real story of Thanksgiving anyway. And they went home yeah. and they're telling their parents that the parents were probably like, Oh yeah, cool. And then they go to, they go to work the next day or they go on black Friday and they start telling all their friends. Yeah. You know, the name of the paint in the Santa Maria landing all those pilgrims. there. <laughs> it's just funny. If you don't, if you don't look into history, I think so many of us don't have any concept of what it is. Um, I'm ready for your reaction to this. I got a video for you. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. Steal yourself for some hard facts about Thanksgiving, folks. Uh, speaking, I can't wait. <laughs> speaking. There's a Kyle in this clip that you guys are going to really appreciate. But this is uh, the real history of Thanksgiving. And Ryan, if you want to go ahead and run that video from the History Channel, so people can be educated a little bit more, I think we should all know best about this day. You're watching the History Channel, where the truth is history. A lot has been written about the first Thanksgiving between pilgrims and Native Americans. But what really happened at that first historic dinner? Dude, see, I told you. Who needs to read a bunch of stupid books when we've got History Channel? We know the first Thanksgiving was in the fall of 1621, but new evidence suggests that the first exchanging of food between the pilgrims and Native Americans may have been visited by aliens. In every journal entry we researched from those early pilgrims, not one entry mentions anything about aliens not being there. And what about the food? Does the appearance of stuffing at the first Thanksgiving table suggest a kind of alien technology? Uh -huh. What? This isn't history. Dude, it is called History Channel. And if we look in all the journals and all the history books, there is no reference to stuffing before 1621. So where did it come from? Did it come from space? We just don't know. Did ancient aliens shape the first Thanksgiving? Is it mere coincidence that Cape Cod, when viewed from space, looks like an alien life form? What exactly did the pilgrims experience? How exactly did those beings from another world shape the dinner we celebrate every November? What? Kyle, why are you being so grumpy? Are you in your period again? We are not basing research for our report on this crap. Okay, let's take a vote. Who thinks the possibility of ancient aliens at Thanksgiving makes for an interesting history report? You! Okay, and who wants to take a little pampering so their menstrual cramps stop bringing everyone down? Yeah. All right, fine. Let's just get this stupid report over with. <laughs> For me, that entire video clip is set up so that they could show an overhead shot of Cape Cod with the yeah. alien drawing, which looks like it was drawn by some guys I was enlisted with 100%. Yep. For sure. How many drawings like that did you see in a part of John, you know, like before you're heading out to the field or whatever? So the worst for me was I went and did this training one time. It was a paramedic training, and uh, it was with a bunch of like some HRT medics, the hostage rescue team, pretty, pretty capable guys. They, they do a lot of elite sort of. Uh, uh, training and so on. And so these guys are down there teaching and it's a bunch of FBI paramedics and EMTs that are going to go through this. And we were going to go through what's called PHTLS, pre-hospital trauma life support, which is the sort of standard for when you do um, 
gunshot wounds, whatever. It's the military standard of it. And there's a PHTLS civilian book. And then there's a military book. And the difference is between the two books, I think it's just the cover. Um, the military book has like a guy who's wearing, you know, like army clothes or whatever. And uh, so I've got mine and I haven't opened it. I don't know if I've ever opened it. I've had it since I was in the Air Force. I had it. This is probably 2017 or 2018. So I've had this book for six years, maybe or more, seven years. And I've never really gone through it. <laughs> and I and we're flipping through and we're talking about how like how to do uh, intubations, which is where you open up somebody's mouth and you send down a tube and it goes down into the lungs and then you can breathe for them. and You have a direct pathway in case they have a compromised airway. And I open it up to this page, which is like halfway into the book. And there's a picture of like a, a guy and he's like lean back like this. And somebody just drew a dick into his mouth. And on the next page, it's signed love Mark. And I remember Mark. I remember Mark. I remember serving with Mark. He was a turd. He's down in Florida now, as far as I remember. And it was like, that was the longest run up to a joke I've ever seen in my life. It was a seven year joke before I actually got it. I never even saw the thing. He probably was like, yeah, I'm going to get it good. Uh-huh. Seven years later, I finally see that he drew a dick into the mouth of this person. And of course, I'm sitting next to a female FBI medic. Who ended up being a, a good buddy? She was she was a good person, no, that's been, but she looks over and she's like, she's like, why did you draw that? And I'm like, I, I didn't. That wasn't me. That was Mark. <laughs> apparently, eight years ago. That's hilarious. That's such a that's such a typical like enlisted guy thing to do too. You know, like oh, I'm gonna get him and you know do whatever a drawing like that or man, always always silly jokes like that. And then you come across it and you're like, hey, what the. <laughs> Eight years later. Yeah. And then I knew exactly who had done it too. Cause these devious turds, they would all like open up each other's books. They were always doing it to each other. I just, I usually kept my books in the shrink wrap cause I didn't even use them. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, I guess ancient aliens may or may not be responsible for the first Thanksgiving and, or the Nina, the paint and the Santa Maria as is the Seraphim family tradition. So it's worth knowing your history. Otherwise you're, you're doomed to forget it. Uh, it wasn't always about like colonists coming off and killing all the, uh, the Indians. Right. It's just, we <laughs> yeah. used to know it was about aliens. Yeah. Here's your blanket with smallpox on it. That's Have right. a nice life. And some people still trust the government, which is pretty yeah. amazing, right? I'm it gonna is. I'm gonna read you something. Uh, this is a kind of a, an interesting little plug, uh, folks. If you've seen my pinned Twitter, I actually just got this yesterday. This is ah. my father, Charlie Serafin's book. There it is. Uh, it's the story of your life. Write your own obituary by Charlie Serafin. And I wanted to read the opening of it. Speaking of history, because when I got it yesterday, the opening pages I thought were perfectly encapsulating the kind of childhood and the life that I grew up with, with my, my dad and kind of the, the quirky dude that he was. And I, and you guys have never heard any of this stuff. So this is kind of interesting. The, uh, the opening introduction says that it's important that, uh, that you write your obituary it says the most important and more important than all the selfies in your photo file, your obituary is going to capture the essence of your life. Unfortunately, you don't get to write it yourself. And it, if you don't write it yourself, then it won't be properly done. This is what happened to my dad. Here's my dad's obituary taken from the Rhinelander daily news in April of 1962, when my grandfather died long before I was born. And it says, Joseph Serafin dies here today. Joseph Arthur Serafin, 68 years old. A lifelong resident of Rhinelander died in St. Mary's Hospital this morning after an extended illness. He lived at 35 Lake Creek Road and operated the Lake Creek Grocery Store for the last 10 years. Born here on January 20th, 1894, Mr. Serafin operated a tavern for many years. He's survived by his wife, Betty, and four sons, John, Charles, Michael, and Mark, all at home, and a daughter, Miss Mary Catherine Serafin of Milwaukee, and a sister, Mrs. Raymond Powers of Rhinelander. The church service will be held at 9 a.m. Wednesday at St. Joseph's Church. It's officiated by Reverend Joseph Miller. 
burial will be in St. Joseph's Cemetery. After 2 p.m., the body will be at the Hildebrand Funeral Home. A rosary will be said at 8 p.m. Monday. That was the story of my grandfather's life in his obituary. And Garrett, do you want to hear the real story? Yep. So my dad wrote this. This is the opening pages of the book. He said, if you knew my dad, you'd laugh how little he resembled the person that was described here. My dad was a bootlegger. And he spent 18 months in federal penitentiary for operating an unlicensed still after prohibition in 1932. He was still the largest. He uh, his still was the largest ever confiscated by federal officials in those North Woods. He took the fall for his crew operating the still because the others had children. And at the time, he did not. He was also the operator of a brothel and several speakeasies. He did run a grocery store, as described in the obituary. But he was also a boxer and an inventor and a farmer and an expert horse trainer. His published obituary says nothing about his character, his values, his beliefs, his idiosyncrasies, his hobbies, skills, or anything else that explains who he was. If you search the archives for my father's obituary, you'll still find it under Joseph. No one ever called him Joseph either. His name was Joe. The obituary refers to me as Charles, and no one's ever called me Charles. My name is Charlie. That's the, that's my dad's opening lines to the book right there. If folks want to get this, this is a uh, an evaluation of conscience, a um, examination of conscience in many ways. And it's, I think, an, an interesting sort of snapshot on the way that we don't get to tell our own life story, except in many ways we may be able to do that. You and I are, are in a place where we're documenting a lot of our life story for people. But most of you have probably never sat back and thought, what happens when I die? How are my kids going to know what the story is? How do I tell it? Everyone thought, oh, I should write a book or I should record this. I should put it down for prosperity. Um, this book is kind of an interesting way to examine it. What are the most valuable things? What do you want to pass on? So anyway, uh, check out my dad's book on Amazon right now and uh, write him a review if you like it. And I think you will. And he's the guy that kind of helped me become the person that I am. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> what do you think about that that uh, that obituary story? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's captivating because... I, we don't think of this very often, but think of any obituary you've ever read. How, how many of them are like that, where it's just these these hollow statements about who the person was and how those who remain remember them. And then just a little bit, your dad added and said, this is more like who he was. It's like, man, it's 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 a i think it's a very captivating way to start that book because it, for me just listening it drew me in because it's like oh man that's a great point haven't really thought about it obituaries oftentimes are that way they're not capturing very much of of people's character and you know you know this Kyle we've had some some deaths in in the family recently and um it you know it was Heidi's uh grandpa on one side and grandma on the other and so attending these funerals with with large numbers of family who were there and who knew these people well or uh you know even even Heidi she's the granddaughter you know of both of them and so she she's known that she knows she knew them both very well like it uh there's a different piece uh that we that we have you know with us of of the people we we have relationships with and the people we encounter in life and those obituaries man they ring hollow I think your dad nailed it uh in in that regard I mean, the guy owned, uh, what do they say? They didn't say any of the funny things. All the stories that I know about my grandfather, if you were to go, you know, tell me about him in a few words, it's like, yeah, bootlegger, that's family lore. Uh, and it's a great right. story. And there's there's some newspaper articles that were written about the time when he went out there. There's some wild stories about how after he got out of jail, apparently he just partied his face off for, for like a year or two. And the story that made him get sober, which is also a really sto interesting story of Will. Uh, I remember mm. my dad telling me that he basically had these like poodles or these like very fancy dogs and he took them everywhere. And, and he was really into having these dogs because he didn't have kids. And 
And then at uh, he was parting so hard that at some point uh, he woke up and he had given one of his dogs away to a stranger because well, uh, he was so drunk. And it's like, that's a real story about a real person. Yeah. It's not rosary will be done at 8 p.m. on Monday and we're yeah. going to put his body in state and, the, and that's the end of it. And uh, and so many of us don't think of what that legacy looks like. And I think that imagine what the, the, the first people that were there uh, on that first Thanksgiving, you know, th they were probably so grateful that they were live. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us are not in the food chain, but when people <laughs> landed on this rock here uh, and came yeah. to this country, everything was a threat. Unknown right. people that spoke a language they couldn't understand, a threat. Yep. The, the, uh, a new form of winter that they hadn't experienced before, new foliage, new berries that could kill them. Uh, new mm -hmm. animals that were moving in a different way than they did in the in the the woods in Europe. I mean, like think about coming from England, which is an island; it doesn't have any of these things. Then think about the snakes that exist down in Florida. You know, <laughs> it's like or the snake that was crapping on our show yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so many things here that would be absolutely like an existential threat to your family's existence, and and just to be able to have a few minutes to be grateful is still pretty incredible to carve out that time. I think that's what Thanksgiving is about. That without thinking about all of the chaos and the noise, you just take a minute and you go. I'm really grateful for people and all yeah. the good things that are going on. And it's, it's a glass half full glass, half empty thing. I'm tending, I'm like you, I, I look at the, the, the glass as being half empty all the time, except, yeah. except when I remind myself not to, which is so yep. important. For sure. It's like, okay, I got to remind myself. I look at it like it's half empty. If I want it to be full, I better fill it up. And that's, I think where we all come in, we, we have to do our part to make it a full glass, especially for our kids. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, I've told, I don't know if I've told you this, I probably have, it's hard to remember everything, but um, I've told Heidi before that if it was just me, I don't know, I, I'd probably do, do more like what your grandpa did and just, you know, party my face off. But uh, one of the main, probably the main reason I continue to, to like, I don't want to be public. You know me, I'm kind of shy. I'm kind of quiet and kind of weird. And you know, I, I don't want this, <laughs> but, uh, when I look at my kids, I, I, I really do think I have to do what I can to, to make their country better than it is today. And we're failing at that right now. So it's like, okay, well, I don't have another option, but if I was alone, I probably would have just quit and become a cop again and moved on with my life. Like, okay, whatever. Um, but it's like, no, that that's not even an option, at least for now. And I, I know I'm jumping all over, but uh, your grandpa up in Rhinelander, the Northwoods of Wisconsin. So if my history is correct, and I, I'm pretty sure it is, a lot of the um, the bootleggers up there, they were they were running booze for uh, Al Capone and, and, and the big mob down in Chicago. Which um, is where the speakeasies and, and where the uh, yeah. where the brothel was, supposedly. So, uh, so okay, yes, 100 okay. percent. He was running for the Capones. Yep. Yep. I had, it's, it's interesting. Um, I have a similar story and on my mom's side, uh, going back a couple generations like that, which is, but over in a place called Shawano, which is over by green Bay kind of, but, um, it's funny, you know, like even, even that bizarre Wisconsin connection that we have, you know, is, is kind of a fun part of the story. And I used um, to live in Kansas. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird how these things all tend to intersect at times, you know? Yeah. One of the uh, one of the things you just mentioned, and, and it occurred to me as I was as I was getting up this morning, I have uh, I, I wash all of the uh, suspendable shirts uh, separately. They're my they're my work shirts because I put them on every day, and I have a different one for every day of the week. So today's is Zelensky special, and I pull them out of the laundry. And what I was even thinking about is this: if it was just me, 
like you were talking about. No skin in the game, no kids, no requirements, no, no wife I'm responsible for, even with a wife, maybe not the same. I would probably live out of the dryer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I wouldn't even clear the dryer and fold my clothes and put it away because like I, I've got other things that are more important yeah. to me. I'm a dude. Right. I care about dude stuff. I'd much rather go and polish my guns or make sure that my bull carrier is properly lubricated and that I've got my magazine stacked the way that I want. Far, far more important to me than going and making sure that my shirts are out of the dryer. But I have to get my shirts out of the dryer and I have to put them in a laundry basket. And I have to go put them somewhere else. At least they have to go into my closet where nobody can bother them because I've got kids that are going to be filling up the next load. And, right. and they are constantly, my, my son uses his entire body as a, a napkin, as a human napkin. <laughs> and every single shirt he has, has like stains here and stains across the belly and stains on the pant legs, whatever angle his fingers are going to attack his clothes. There are stains that are finger shaped in all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they have to be washed all the time. And my wife spends all this time doing it. I yeah. probably would live out of the dryer if it wasn't for my kids, which would be a lower form of living in many ways. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Like I think of uh, simple things like that too, or like I don't know what what it could be—a countless number of things—and it's like, oh, okay, I got to pick up this blanket or pillow or whatever just to show, just to be the example, to be like, we don't leave things just laying around. But if it was just me, like ah, I can sit there for another couple hours, I'll get it later. But it's—I think that's part of the point, you know, of like you have to rise. Uh, to, to you have to bring yourself to a higher level um to to help teach your kids uh how they should be living life and yeah we're not going to get it right all the time or every time but i do wonder you know i i had an asac who was also unvaccinated and i remember telling him on the phone when i decided to refuse to test as well because i had just recovered from covid and at the time the cdc's standard was if you recovered from COVID, you don't have to test for 90 days or something like that. I have the documentation for it all. And I said, you guys continue to violate even what the CDC is putting out. So I'm not going to be playing your shell game anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, Garrett, you know, I'm doing it still. It's not a big deal. You were doing it, like just trying to get me get me back on board, you know? And it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And I told him, what example would I be to my kids if I did the wrong thing when I knew what was right. Mm -hmm. And like, that'll stick with me too for, for a long time because of how he tried to pitch it. And as far as I know, um, he is still collecting his GS 14 GS 15 salary and, uh, doing just fine complying with the dictates of a tyrannical regime. And it's like, dude, don't you know that they're still coming for you? Like you're on their list. You're a Christian. Uh, that's, you know, he claimed to be, and that's why he uh, abstained from the vaccine because of his faith. But it's like, but if he hadn't, much, but if he hadn't have put you to a decision for your chips and right. given you an opportunity to stand firm, you wouldn't have been there to help me move my stuff out of New Mexico. I would have been doing mm. that all by myself. And so that's true. E- even these weird little things that we don't understand at the moment that, that push yes. you, they, they kind of radicalize you. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for them, even though they, they suck to live through. They're, they're so important. And just like when you look back at all the tough things you did, either basic training or going into combat or, or training to go, uh, seeing friends lost and all those things, a lot of the stuff you look back is gilded now. It looks like the end of the day, in the past when we see things, it's like the sun going down low and everything looks prettier because there's a, there's a glow to it because it's the past and you're not actively feeling those emotions. And as you get that time and distance and space, you can see the, the best parts of it. I think so mm-hmm. many of those things, that's what this this uh, day is about for me is like looking at the things that I could be grateful for 
in the past, things that I was probably pissed about even in the moment. I might, For have, been, sure. I might have been frustrated about like that, that uh, Thanksgiving where my mom was telling the funny smoothie story about the, <laughs> all the, all the things that were American history that were wrong, that were not correct. I was probably frustrated because, you know, family gatherings often have that thing, but later given time, Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful and funny experience. It's one of those moments when we all laughed, even if it was at her expense. And even now she should laugh about it because it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and no feelings have to be hurt. Yeah. It's just, it's important that we have that perspective that today's pain and frustration and difficulties will be tomorrow's, you know, difficult memories. And they will be 10 years from now, that story that you tell that you learn the lesson from, and you couldn't know about it now. You couldn't know about it in the moment ever. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, you know, I think back to last year, this time last year, and the difficulties that were there. And you know me, um, I, I jumped heavily into my faith, and I was I was probably reading the Bible more every day than may, perhaps ever before. And uh, I was in Jonah a lot back then, as you know, but I was also reading in Job and in James a lot. And um, it's it's funny how things work, you know, not funny, haha, but just like, oh, okay, I see. Quirky. I see in part what was going on because um, Heidi and I found ourselves in a, in a Bible study more recently where um, every other week we're, we're going through sections of Job again. So I'm, I'm getting to dive a little deeper into it. But what I was thinking about this morning about, about gratitude um, took me back to James um, chapter 1. And I, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a couple verses, verses 2 through 4. I think that's a good way to wrap it. Yep, let's do it. it It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I remember just um, going through that section a lot and, and, and referencing that verse a lot and thinking, how do I count this trial as joy? And I fail at that still a lot, oftentimes. Uh, probably even today I did already, you know, like, oh, it's cold and whatever, you know, like I do, I fail at it. But, um, you know, you mentioned coming to El Paso to help you move and we can point to a litany of things just in this past year where I can see like, okay, I'm starting to see some glimmers of, of the joy and why even through the pain and the difficulty, um, I need to have the joy because, it is producing that steadfastness. And it's like, I guess the big thing, I think it's relative to this part in James, but the big thing I've taken away from Job is because we think, why, God, why do you allow this suffering? And the, the answer I'm coming to, and maybe it's not a great answer because it really is hard to comprehend how and why we suffer. Um, and how and why Job was allowed to suffer so much, why God permitted that for somebody like him. And it, it really is a, a struggle, but um, I'm coming to the, the answer that it's, it's, it's for his glory and, and it's for our good. And what we think is human good on earth is oftentimes probably very different than, than what God is using for good and for his glory and for his purpose. And it is difficult to battle with, um, but I don't know, man. I, I know I'm being refined through this and, um, with my faith and um, with the Holy Spirit and how God is working and, and using you and me and Steve and others. And uh, it's just, it's interesting to only in this past year to, to be able to look back and, and start to draw some of these, some of these better um, conclusions or, or outlooks on 
on why some of this is happening. You know, we may not ever know the full answer as as to why, you know, why we made the decisions we made and we're so so firm, so firmly rooted in them and what it has all led to. Um, but I, I really do believe that it, it's for his glory at the end of the day and for our good. Even if that ends in, in misery on earth, it'll be ultimate glory and good um, when he says, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, when we, when we enter heaven. So I, don't know, I guess that's a bit what I'm thinking about on this Thanksgiving. I think that's a great thing to be thinking about. I think it's a good thought to be leaving that even the, tribu- the tribulations that we kind of face, they have meaning. We just don't know what they are. And like I said, that rear view mirror, sometimes we get to see it in our life. We're, we're kind of blessed, I think, in many ways. We're yeah. seeing a lot of the meaning and why in a lot shorter time than many people have experienced. If you consider what's gone on in history, some people die and, and they don't, decades later, their family doesn't know what it meant. Uh, right. But we're, I think we actually are blessed to be in a time where we are seeing it happen so quickly and so strangely. Mm-hmm. Um, all that being said, I'm, I'm grateful for you, my friend. I'm grateful for you being here. I know people appreciate your voice. There's a lot of that going on in the chat right now. People would love to hear your reflections on these. Maybe I'll come and we'll do a, a guided uh, meditations on these sort of uh, biblical topics at some point. Yeah. And uh, they're going to be, is there going to be an American Radicals podcast for Saturday? Uh, the Yes. The plan yes, is yes. Is. Episode two shall yeah. drop on Saturday. Okay, fantastic. So we're going to uh, have people tune in for that. Folks, if you want to follow, it's amradpod on rumble.com slash amradpod, A-M-R-A-D-P-O-D. Check that out. Check out the suspendables.com, the-suspendables.com. If you want to keep the sweatshop working, those kids' <laughs> fingers uh, need to be uh, calloused at all times, so keep them moving. And uh, Garrett, are they going to be sharing the uh, Make Whistleblowers Great Again shirt or no? Oh, yeah. I saw that some people mentioning this in the chat. So this was actually one of the early shirts I made, but it it wasn't really selling very good. I know Eric, um, who moderates in your chat, he got one, but there's only probably like two or three of these out there. So maybe maybe I'll bring it back again if there's a if there's enough outcry for it. Um, I like it. I think it's pretty cool. It's got one of the um, suspendable logos uh, on the uh, basically the nape of the neck. Mm-hmm. which is kind of cool on the back too. But, uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe I'll bring it back. All right. I could, I could see that. So folks, if there's popular demand, we'll make it happen. Uh, Garrett, thanks for joining me, folks. Make sure you hit the like button. We're talking to Garrett O'Boyle, G O B actual. You could follow him on all the social medias, Twitter and, and true social and Instagram and so on, uh, at G O B actual. I want to say thanks to our last sponsor who have been, uh, jumped in out of nowhere to support us as well. And that's going to be for patriots.com. If there are tough times coming and many of you guys do know it, you can go and get yourself prepared with for patriots.com slash Kyle. For the number four Patriots with an S on the end dot com slash Kyle. Check out any of the things on there. Uh, you can give it as a gift. You can give it for yourself. It's a gift that you can basically check off the worry and the anxiety of something coming down the line. Do something. Look at that country griddle breakfast. Ryan's just like enjoying the website here. Uh, if you're watching on the Rumble channel, you see it. Otherwise, go to four Patriots dot com slash Kyle. Get the discounts that they have uh, that is attributed to our promo code or you can use promo code Kyle K-Y-L-E. Really grateful for all of you folks. Thanks so much for joining. I'm really grateful for Ryan Matta, who's done a great job. We prepped a whole show, and we have this deal that what we do is we get together, we prep out the show, and then once we prep it, the minute we start it, I throw it all out the, the window, and I completely forget about what we talked about for the last hour and a half. We have some alligator videos we didn't play, which maybe we'll throw up on Twitter. We had a Leon Lett uh, fumbling a football, which was one of the famous memories I had from the Seraphim family childhood on Thanksgiving. Some of you guys remember this going back. It was a Cowboys game against the Dolphins way back in the day. I went and grabbed that for some reason to show it to you, and then we did. We just talked about things that we were grateful for and uh, did the classic Seraphin GOB actual 
uh, mission creep here. So <laughs> blessings to all of you guys on Thanksgiving. I hope you spend a wonderful time with your family. If you don't have family, make sure you're going out and talking to some neighbors and getting that human connection. Today is a day to do that and not to be afraid of anything else. So bless you all. We'll see you again tomorrow for Black Friday for all you sitting in line that are trying to buy weird products for a slight discount. Uh, you can turn on your rumble.com slash Kyle Seraph and do that. Let's throw up the, uh, the, the five-star review you've got on here. This one's kind of a funny one. So it's a good one for today. Just the way we're feeling this one. If you go to our Apple, um, podcast, you can find, it says it's from free Patriot Tim given, uh, just a couple days ago said, Hey Kyle, five stars. Hey Kyle, you're a goober. And to me, that's a name that I call people that I like or love my dog and my cat are goobers too. It's a term of endearment. Even my 82 year old grandmother, a uh, mother is a goober. So great show, bro. Keep up the good work. Fight the fight. I got your back. Well, when I'm in Texas, America, um, I don't know. I guess I'm a goober. I'll take it. Those are. I knew this was going to be on a weird day. I knew I was going to get that, and it was going to show up just magically on a strange day, and it did indeed. We appreciate you, Tim. We appreciate Chad Zodi throwing five dollars out there, saying Happy Thanksgiving. Thankful for the suspendables. We are really thankful for you guys. Your support is what keeps us going. Whoa! There was some music behind that. There was a video behind that. Whoops. You want to play it? Are you going to play <laughs> that was it? The one, no, that was the one from yesterday that we uh, we didn't get that super chat, so I wanted to make sure we covered it oh, at the bottom there. Yeah, we'll say thanks to whatever who said uh, any cell phone providers that only store 18 months of data are ready to make a switch. Whatever 007 asked that yesterday. Um, the answer is, I think T-Mobile. This is uh, something that came out in the chat yesterday. T-Mobile was always the worst about uh, being subservient to the government when it came to government process. They were really good about notifying their customer base. Uh, my brother told me that people who use T-Mobile are thugs and gangsters. I've been using T-Mobile for a long time, so I guess that tells you what it is. I'm a G. Call it what it is. And uh, check that out. Anyway, we'll see you guys again tomorrow. We really do appreciate you joining us here for the stream and for this Thanksgiving. And I hope you have a lovely steak and not turkey. We didn't. We even missed our debate. We missed our debate, Garrett. We were going to talk about that, and we didn't do it. I'm shameful. It's shameful. We'll do it another time. Maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow, or you guys will talk about it on the AMRAD podcast. That seems like a good thing to do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, adios. Have a good Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.